Welcome, welcome, welcome to Armchair Expert, Experts on Expert. I'm Dak Shepard. I'm joined by Erica Patman. Oh, no, Trigger. Oh, Trigger. Ding, 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 <laughs> ding, ding, ding. Well, you'll hear in the wrap-up. Yeah, you get to hear some stuff. About Erica. <laughs> My new co-host. <laughs> so excited. Today we have Reed Hoffman. Reed Hoffman is an entrepreneur and executive. He co-founded LinkedIn and is currently a partner at Greylock, where he focuses on early stage investing. He has a new book out called Masters of Scale, Surprising Truths from the World's Most Successful Entrepreneurs. This was a really, really fun, super comprehensive conversation. Playful. Super playful. And all over the play, you know, like dancing over here. It this was really topic. fun, yeah. And, and Reed is so damn knowledgeable. Brilliant. Oh, yeah, really, really brilliant. You're going to love Reed Hoffman. Also, you're going to love Armchair and Dangerous Live on New Year's Eve if you choose to join us. It's in Los Angeles at the Wiltern. Tickets go on sale tomorrow, <laughs> Friday, December the 3rd at 10 a.m. California time. Go to our website for the ticket link, armchairexpertpod.com, starring Erica Padman. Please enjoy Reed Hoffman. We are supported by Uber Eats. Spring is here, and now you can get almost anything you need for your sunny days delivered with Uber Eats. What do we mean by almost? Well, you can't get a well-groomed lawn delivered, but you can get chicken parmesan delivered. A cabana? That's a no. But a banana? That's a yes. A nice tan? Sorry, no. But a box fan? Happily, yes. A day of sunshine, no. A box of fine wines, yes. Uber Eats can definitely get you that. Get almost, almost anything delivered with Uber Eats. Order now. Alcohol in select markets, product availability may vary by region. See app for details. We are supported by Squarespace. Guys, we have a Squarespace website that's just gorgeous. That Wobby Wob, you, uh, you built that yourself using all the templates, yeah? I sure did. Yeah, easy peasy? So easy. The best part about Squarespace is it's an all-in-one website platform for entrepreneurs to stand out and succeed online. You can get discovered fast with integrated, optimized SEO tools, and you can choose from professionally curated layouts and styling options with Squarespace Blueprint. Plus, you can kickstart or update written content on any website, product description, or email with Squarespace AI. Head to squarespace.com for a free trial and save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain with the code DAX. He's an You have a much better seat setup than I do. <laughs> Which is crazy because you're a podcaster. <laughs> yes. Well, actually, I'm moving into a new house, so it's it's still TBD. But I think I may still, even then, be inspired by your seat. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it's funny. Who were we talking to yesterday? And they were, they were shitting on my Anderson Oh, Cooper. Anderson Cooper. And we figured it out. I think we figured it out. I came from a very working class background. So this represents like, you fucking made it. You own a lazy boy? <laughs> <laughs> and for Anderson, it very much signaled like, this is a Philistine, which is also true in, <laughs> on many accounts. <laughs> and by the way, the two together is what's awesome. <laughs> I'm hoping so. Yes. <laughs> so are we talking to you in Palo Alto? Is that where you're at? I am up in Seattle. Oh, in Seattle. And yes. what the hell are you doing there? Is that where you <laughs> live? That's where I live right now. We escaped the wildfires because it was 450 parts per million smoke at our house in Silicon Valley. And then when we came up here, my better half 
said, we're living here because we had a vacation <laughs> place up here. But when you get to call it zero parts per million in the air yeah. And, yeah. and you have these long, glorious summer days and we survived the winter, it works. We have our vacation place still, but we now have another place, which is okay. this place, which is home. Okay. Right. If memory serves me, I had a girlfriend for nine years that was from uh, Marysville, Washington. And October, September, October is the sweet spot there, right? That's almost like summer. Well, frankly, it's great. But anytime from, call it April through October, you get these yeah. long, glorious days, this greenery, this water, not too warm, et cetera, et cetera. And it's just glorious. Yeah. Yeah, so you have a very specific type of personality or proclivities, right? So mm. you're busy nonstop. You're a busy person, but that doesn't necessarily extend to like busy, like you need to be walking the streets of your town. Is that <laughs> Would that be appropriate? Yeah. I like to always be doing stuff. So like I don't have hobbies, et cetera. <laughs> and most of what I like doing is working with really smart people. Yeah. Uh, doing stuff. It could be a conversation where you're discovering something. It could be building a company. It could be figuring out how science should be amplified. It should be, and I think this is the first time you and I were put in touch, which was by Adam Grant, you know, trying to of figure course. out politics, all of this kind of stuff. And and we didn't have a chance to uh, chat at Yellowstone, but I did see you make a trenchant comment or two <laughs> from the back row. <laughs> <laughs> I have heard of So such. I've owned my embarrassment. I didn't speak on the correct topic. Let's start there. I, I was definitely out of my lane, but but I was just getting so fucking frustrated that I had been kind of monopolized by this one voice or one side of an argument. I, I lost my cool. My wife would kept telling me, hey, watch your breathing. And I was like, oh, no, later, later. <laughs> yes, exactly. But it was fun. <laughs> yes, it was totally fun. So you as a kid, though, you were super into like role-playing games. Am I right to understand that being like Dungeons and Dragons and the old old school ones? Yeah. So it was a funny way that I discovered D&D, which is I was living with my dad. My parents divorced when I was very young. And my dad discovered a babysitter who would come over and babysit me, although, you know, I was nine. So I don't know why they still call it babysitting, kid sitting or whatever. <laughs> Maybe it was a particular comment on me. Who knows? And this guy came over and had a great formula for dealing with young kids, which is let's play Dungeons and Dragons. Oh, and yeah. I literally was like, oh, my God, I didn't realize people could do this. And so promptly upon the next day was like, dad, don't you have other things like dates to go out on and, <laughs> right, and, right. and stuff to do? Cause you should rehire Michael, still remember yeah. his name <laughs> too. Cause we got to continue the quest. And so as a kid, I was enormously into everything from fantasy role-playing games. I actually did things like uh, help publish supplements and game reviews. In, yes, in, I'm in, <laughs> you know, at like 12, right? Yeah, Geekville for yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. Okay, but two unconventional things right out of the gates, which is, A, you live with dad. So I, too, am a child of divorce, very young. But I lived with mom, so that's unconventional. And then male babysitter, also a bit unconventional. Yeah, and both awesome. Okay, correct. <laughs> you know, I mean, it, it's one of those things where many, many things that are considered to be rules are actually, in fact, heuristics. And while broadly speaking, they might be the best way to do things, the other way, on occasion, is spectacular. And yeah. so you should always stay alert to that in navigating life. This is we all were just talking <laughs> about this yesterday. Yeah, we had a long debate. Again, I don't think either of us are, would be patting each other on the back or ourselves on the back. I think it's just your nature. So my nature is like, 
I don't take anything at face value. I'm like reading something. I'm always recognizing a group of human beings in a building put this thing together and that they have their own culture and their own thought process. You know, like, and that's just my nature, I think. And Monica, you like rules and order. Well, I, yeah, I grew up on rules and I was totally, they never bit me in the butt, really. Like, I never felt taken advantage of by them. I'm very lucky not to, but I, I'm fine with them. <laughs> I mean, not to say, and I, I do want to be careful about this. Like, it's not that I'm not thinking critically about what's in front of me. I think I am. But my instinct is not to rebel against the rules. It's to like hear them. And so Reed, I would, I would say from my point of view, I think early on being dyslexic and having to go to the learning disabled room just kind of made me go like, well, this can't be the only system. Like if, if I'm a reject of this system, my own self-preservation makes me question the entire system. And I just wonder if there's anything in your childhood like that. Well, I think it's similar to the fact that I found the world to be super strange and odd. <clears throat> and the best thing to do is to kind of join this fantastic land. All right. I wouldn't necessarily call it fantasy land. So like I would read tons of science fiction. When I got into board games and was thinking about strategy, I would literally walk to the public library and then read every book on military history and strategy, literally from A to Z in the oh Dewey Decimal God. System. Yeah. It's like, ooh, gotta get on top of this. And I think that was kind of try to create the world or to help create the world rather than just taking it as you find it. And it isn't, as Monica was saying, it's not, it's not exactly rebellion. It isn't like, not that, it's much as, like shape it to push it in the direction you think you should go because it feels odd, alien. One of my uncles remembers that his entire interaction with me when I was five, and I don't think this is unique to me, but was asking why, right? Like it, literally every, 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 like why? He's like, well, yeah. that's a blue bus. Well, why is it blue? <laughs> well, because they painted it blue. Well, why did they paint it blue? Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Like, ah! you, you, I think you and I have the same insufferable personality, but- like, really specifically, did you feel like a bit of an anomaly in the main status quo? Like, did you feel like this entire system's predicated on a skill set that I, I have a different skill set? I think what I did is I didn't see it as relevant until a while. And actually, the thing that made me begin to think of the system as relevant and beginning to play the kind of the system game was, like, I was trying to sort out like, why are we here and what are we doing? And, you know, they say, and this is Spanish class. And you're like, okay. <laughs> like, that doesn't seem like something I need to engage in. And, <laughs> and so literally my dad hired a tutor because he was mm. like, oh, shit, this kid is like fucking up at school, like left, right, and center, which is like I literally, like I, apparently I went to a French class and I would read science fiction books like on the desk while uh -huh. I was in the class. <laughs> and when the teacher would ask me a question, I would say, je ne sais pas, <laughs> right? Which like, is? Like, I don't know. I don't know. Oh, okay, French. great. Catch-all <laughs> phrase. <laughs> yes. you know, so it's like, I don't know, yeah. <laughs> right? And so my dad looks at the F that I get in French, thinking French isn't that hard, and hires a tutor. And the tutor was great, but what really was essential was, I was like, well, why did my dad hire a tutor? Oh. There's this after school thing, like when you get out of high school and then something, ha ooh, that's relevant. Right, okay. right, 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 Let right. Let me start right. playing this game, <laughs> right? Yeah. Yes, I agree. I can't start 
anything without knowing what the end goal is. I, yeah. I, yeah, like I feel allergic to busy work if I don't know what it's about. I imagine a lot of people that work at companies have that as a, a veiled feeling in general. Like, I guess that's like Adam Grant's great at addressing is like is giving you some ownership, some relevance, some one tiny pinky on the steering wheel or something. <laughs> yeah, current mission. This is what we're trying to achieve. This is why when you go home and tell your friends, family, colleagues, what you're doing, it's like, well, what we're doing at work is this really important thing. And this is the thing that I do that helps it. Yeah, you want them to be able to say that. Yes. And yeah. if you're not, they're really not going to put in good work. And they're not yeah. going to be really motivated. They're not going to be happy. Because right? yeah. it's part of the, no, no, why I'm here, what I do, that matters in the world. That, sure. That's something that everyone should and can participate in. Okay, so how did you end up at this Putney School in Vermont? <laughs> So I hit the independence bug early. So I kind of heard about from another high school friends that there was this thing called boarding school. And I went, ooh, boarding school. You can be on your own. You okay. can like. Oh my gosh. <laughs> okay, I have to pause you. I have to pause you. I have to pause you. First, I have to just give you some backstory. We've been in about a five-week debate about this segment we saw in 60 Minutes of this <laughs> bizarre college in Utah. I don't know if you saw it. You're shaking your head. I think head it's like here maybe. in California. Is, Is this it? Deep Springs? Yes. Maybe. Yes. 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 That's yes, California. Yes. Okay. Uh, okay. But I'm aware of Deep Springs. <laughs> okay. Well, I, wow. Okay. So, California, uh, stand corrected. You're aware of it. And so, the, the, since we saw it, <laughs> Monica and I, I don't want to underrepresent your position, but you're like, this guy feels like a cult. And I'm like, I don't know. It feels like a great time for them to do something other than what they're inevitably going to do the rest of their life. And we've had this long-standing debate. So when I read about this Putney school, I was like, this is fucking awesome because you basically attended a version of it. Oh. Yes. It was founded by a woman named Carmelita Hinton, who was part of a married pair that made the Jungle Gems, was founded off the money from the Jungle Gem. Oh, wow. And the theory of the Putney School, which is awesome, is don't just train the mind, train, as it were, the kind of spirit. And so some of that is uh, everyone has to have a work task. Uh, every quarter, and those vary. Those work tasks can be anything from working in the kitchen or dishes to working on the farm. Maple extraction, yeah? Yes, uh, driving <sighs> oxen through the woods, rebuilding rock walls, whole stack of stuff. The worst one, uh, which everyone has to do, this is basically when you're, when you're first year there, you end up saddled with Winter Barn because Winter Barn is get up at five in the morning, identify a set of clothing that you will burn afterwards because the, <laughs> the, the, the clothing will be just literally toxic, uh, stand on its own and reek and fill the entire building full of cow manure because you're shoveling cow manure. Yeah, yeah. Oh, and it's character building in all the ways that character building is like, oh God, that was really painful. And so you do all that. And then also like blacksmithing and arts and crafts and other kinds of things. So to, to have a rounded human being and it was a really, a kind of amazing experience across all this stuff. And I'd say two parts. One is I went, okay, I want to get independence. And the only reason I went to Stanford later was because I'd already gotten out of the house and gotten my, my sense of my own two feet. And then the other thing was the decisioning of let's try things that I haven't been exposed to before that could be really, really interesting experiences. Yeah. And so the reason why Putney over all the others was like, well, like, I, no, I thought I understood academics well enough at that point. Sure, Didn't sure. realize you could always understand academics better. <laughs> but it was like, oh, these other things, that'd be really valuable to add into my life experience. And so that's why I went to Putney. 
Well, there's two things there. Like one is it just already touched on the thing we just spoke of, which is I think because you chose to go there, it sounds like you sought this place out. You can shovel the cow manure in a much different mind space than you could if your father was like, you're going to Putney. And that stupid little framing of the experience is everything for the experience. And then secondly, I can tell you're just a fucking major romantic too. Like, I think (laughs) I have a similar thing where it's just like, I want to know I sampled every flavor at Baskin Robbins before I commit to one, you know? Cow manure flavor? Yeah. Well, I detasseled corn all summer through junior high, which is fucking dreadful. Also clothes one needs to throw away. By the way, you're reminding me of another funny thing. One of those Americans who is very happy to use my classless status in Europe as an American. And so I was at this excellent restaurant in uh, Paris about 10 years ago called Guy de Savoie. And they roll up with the pre-dessert cart. It's the tasting sampling. And they spend five minutes going, and then we have this magnificent thing and this magnificent thing and this amazing thing. And so I look at them and say, okay, well, how many do I get? (laughs) They say, well, monsieur can have as many as he wants. And I said, oh, okay. (laughs) I'll have a little of everything, please. <laughs> yeah. They're they gonna look at me and I'm like, hey, sure. you said as many as I want, and you just yeah. spent five minutes describing how everything is completely amazing. Yeah. I'll try a little. I literally only want a taste of everything. And you don't know when you're gonna be back. Yes. Could exactly. be a decade. Yes. But okay, was your experience at that school? We're not gonna spend the whole time t- continuing our debate, but I, I am curious. <laughs> And I'm sure it's just something about me that I haven't fully identified yet, which is why I'm like skeptical of schools like that. But do you think there was like a group think happening there? Well, look, all boarding schools, it's a little bit less cult and a little bit more Lord of the Flies. Okay. All boarding schools have a little bit of the, you take a whole bunch of teenagers who think they've learned everything and know everything and are now defining their little Robinson Crusoe society on their own with limited right. adult supervision. And that's never really a recipe for awesome sauce in a society. And so there's that challenge to it, but it isn't really a cult, even though every Friday night we got together and sung as a school. <laughs> right? Yeah. And my lesson there in, in the singing was, <laughs> Uh, the very first time I went there, I got nudged by one of the teachers standing behind me and said, look, if you don't know how to sing, don't do it as loudly. <laughs> <laughs> right, mod- modulate the, the volume. Yes, and I'm like, oh, good point. You know, good general lesson. That's a good life lesson, yeah. <laughs> do you know what I think it really, okay, and this will be my last point on it, I swear to God, because you, your time's valuable and you don't need to weigh in on this. But I must say, it's now occurring to me. As the great assimilator that you were, mm-hmm. it actually is a group of people that are like, fuck everything normal. And that's just a frightening notion, yeah, maybe. Probably. Okay. Yeah, we'll we'll mull on, on that. It. We'll, we'll, we'll think on that. <laughs> okay, then you get super traditional and you go to Stanford and you go to Oxford and you end up with a bunch of different jobs. You work in Napa, then you're at Apple for a minute. I guess I am curious if there's anything neat, just because of the period of time you were at Apple was still, I guess it would have been just preceding the turnaround. It, it was pre-Jobs' return and it was definitely the dark ages. Like we had a CEO who was occasionally discovered hiding under his desk and, you know, had his oh assistant gosh. print out his email, you know, et cetera. So you're like, okay, I grew up being an Apple fanboy. My first serious computer was a Macintosh, et cetera. Well, an Apple IIe I learned to program on. But when I had my own, it was yeah. a Macintosh. And it was like, really? 
this is how these places are run? <laughs> I would compare that to when I finally got invited to the Playboy Mansion at like 30 years old. And I went with some folks and I was like, here we are, this place I've dreamt of my whole childhood. And I was like, man, those fucking phones are really old. Like, that's a really old phone system. Oh, only half the lights in this house work. Whatever. The whole thing was like, oh, wow, this isn't the Magic Kingdom I thought it was going to be. Okay. People think that when they come in here. We get yeah, that a lot. Yeah, like, oh, this is, this is a shit This hole. is it? Yeah. <laughs> this is where you guys do this? <laughs> okay, so one thing I'm excited by in your history, and for people who aren't super well-versed on you, the notion that you started SocialNet in, I don't know, was it 97 or something? Yeah. It's so far before everything. I guess, when does MySpace start? MySpace, I think, started in 2003. And then Friendster maybe was what, 2001? Friendster, 2002. 2002. Way so so five years before Friendster. Yeah. I guess I want to know your whole emotional attachment to that. Like, I guess from the outside, it would appear like, oh, yeah, you invented the iPhone in the 80s, but there are no cell towers. Like, oh, bummer. That could have been yours. Tell me about that, being that ahead of the curve on something like that. Well, by the way, this is a very common pattern in entrepreneurship generally, because almost every big idea was tried a few times before, whether it was artificial intelligence, whether it was search engines, whether it was social networks, whether it was virtual reality and virtual worlds. It is actually, in fact, a general thing. For example, we have metaverse discussion now. You go all the way back to early 80s, and you've got uh, Neil Stevenson and Snow Crash, and even he was a particularly vibrant version of it, but there were thoughts about that even before. So it's easy to go, wait a minute, I had that idea. I should have done it. Yeah. <laughs> right? yeah. And you have to actually ha have a certain equanimity to this, which is to say, you try to make your best judgment about time is now and how you do it and you learn and then, you, and then be willing to do it again or willing to choose a new thing as the time is relevant. But I would say the arc through why I quit, I decided not to be an academic. I was studying philosophy at Oxford and said, no, I'm going to go be a software entrepreneur, which is one of the things that I had kind of learned from a Stanford that was possible because it was a scale and who we are and how we find other people, how we communicate and collaborate and identify each other as individuals in a group and how we make ourselves better. And I'm going to go do that through software. This kind of network identity where you're human nodes in a human network. In a landscape, kind of. Yes was fundamental to kind of almost everything that I've done as an inventor, as an entrepreneur. The investing landscape has a broader landscape, but as an entrepreneur, that's the kind of thing I did. And so I had a whole bunch of ideas that I thought were really important. And so I said, okay, let me go start the company. And like I first you know, did Apple Computer eWorld, because again, a similar kind of place, an online thing. Thought, oh my God, the internet's important. Went to Fujitsu, did this virtual world product called World's Way. And I was like, no, no, no. Because, by the way, we're already living in the metaverse. We're in the metaverse right now in Zoom. We're in the metaverse on the Internet. Like, the metaverse is here. It's just a question of how it evolves. You're going to have to tell us what the metaverse is. Because in full disclosure is another thing I said in an interview a couple days ago. is like, I've been sent four different links to read about Zuckerberg talking about the metaverse. And I just can't. Because it's coming out of his mouth, I can't do it. So... I need your face to tell me what the metaverse is before we continue. <laughs> well, I'm happy to do that. But the usual illusion, because usually what people think of as the metaverse is kind of a complete simulacrum of a world. It's like a metaverse could be a replica of Mars or could be a replica of here, but you're walking around as avatars and, and as opposed to being a dashing man, you could be an elf or 
an octopus or whatever as part of doing this. And the full geek out version is you like have a haptic bodysuit with a headset and so forth. You don't necessarily need that. The thing that's illusory in the discussion is we've already been doing metaverses. Even the invention of a phone system is the very beginning of a metaverse. It has addresses, it has ways you interact with people, you identify them, you communicate with them. It's just a very limited bandwidth in a very, very isolated circumstance. So it's between that and, oh my God, I can't distinguish between the metaverse and the real world. I'm going to even throw into oh, what Yuval Harari said, which I thought was so breakthrough. He, he was asked, like, you know, in this world you propose where everyone's going to be virtually simulating all these experiences, you know, what's that going to do to people? And he said, oh, well, make no mistake, we've been doing this for thousands of years. Religion is exactly that. It, it is a simulation. It is a game. It is a notion of doing right and getting to the next level and all. I just thought, oh, wow, that's so fascinating. So clearly we have some architecture and some hard wiring and some evolutionary processes that make us really set to enjoy this or to be drawn to it. And I also really quick, even when you lay it out like that, it's like, oh, that's fucking D&D as well. It's like you've got four human beings that are joining each other in this place that only exists in your mind. Yes, exactly. And it's just a question of where you are on the spectrum of the technological sophistication of the environment that you're in. D&D yeah. tends to be a little hexagonal map and some lead figures and some pieces of paper and some dice and a bunch of inventive storytelling, most traditionally. But you can go all the way to World of Warcraft, <laughs> in which case you're sitting there on your gaming rig going, take down the orc on the left, take down the orc on the left. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay, so so then this metaverse that's now becoming colloquial, I guess, in through Zuckerberg's vision of it, is it you put on this suit, you put on this headset, and now you're in this social network, and I guess now you're interacting with physicality and yeah. three dimension. Okay. But does it seem insane? Like we're just going to go full circle to like, you're going to go to a cafe. <laughs> like you're going to do exactly what has existed yeah, forever. You are, you're going to have sex, which you could already do. Well, yeah. What's it going to give us that we couldn't do if we weren't maybe shy? Well, so, well, so I think there's a bunch of things. Look, I think we will have metaverse experiences, including ultimately kind of a version of what you have today, which you can outfit a room with cameras, put on a bunch of sensors and navigate. But like, for example, the kind of experience that I would look for myself doing this wouldn't be like the, oh, goody, I can walk down to the cafe in the metaverse. Because it's like, I'd rather walk down to the cafe here. <laughs> yeah. By the way, I'd rather have a, a real cappuccino, yeah, <laughs> right? yeah, 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 you yeah, know, yeah. as part of it, not anything fake or Matrix-like. But for example, you say, well, well, I'd love to have flight as a superpower and fly around Mars and get to see Mars. That'd be yeah. really interesting. If you gave me a Mars metaverse, and by the way, doing it with friends, like you could imagine a, hey, what's our evening dinner party? Well, our evening dinner party is first, we're gonna spend an hour or two roaming around Mars, and then we're gonna have dinner and talk about, like, what do we find interesting about Mars? Well, that would yeah. be fun, <laughs> right? I'd do that. But what happens when we have access to everything? Like, I don't know what that's gonna do to us when it's like, you don't even need curiosity anymore. Well, maybe this goes back to Dax's comment about I'm a romantic. I think curiosity will always be there. 
I think it's it's a super important thing about like what is being human. It's a journey of dis- of discovery, discovery of others, discovery of yourself. It's a journey of becoming. I have the hope and the confidence that that will persist in all these technological iterations. Like part of what I think we're we're, we're looking for is part of what we are as as human beings is also we evolve through our through our technologies. Right, like imagine kind of who we are as people now versus like we could never have done this kind of thing even 50 years ago, like this conversation we're having right now. Yeah, I just want to put a point on that. Yeah, we don't meet you ever. Yes. Like the us three human beings don't yeah. ever meet without this. Yes. Like uh, most likely. Yes, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Right. Now we all bring our own baggage, right? So you think that, Monica, you think that, and I think all roads lead to fucking. I just really think that, like when you say the metaverse, like you look at, you, you just look at the data from the internet and see where people spend time. And man, fucking pornography is always tied with all yeah. the other major things. So I just think like, doesn't it all just lead to fucking? So Dax, I think that's because you're an early adopter. When you look at the early adoption of the technology, like in the very early part of the internet, it was something like 50% of the bits and 20% of the searches and a bunch of other stuff. Now it's a tiny, tiny bit. Right? Oh, it is? It yes. Oh. Right. It's because what happens is the people who are driven like, oh my God, early adopters tend to have that, <laughs> yeah. you know, they kind of call it the sex model of technology and tend to get driven that way for various reasons. But then now it's lots of video calls and and watching movies and discovering information and Wikipedia has been constructed and that did Navigating, and so, yeah. Yes. And so yeah. undoubtedly, many of the earliest, call it virtual world metaverses experiences, will be experimented with in the pornography realm. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm even thinking like, I'm even getting more twisted. I'm like, took your example of like going exploring Mars with some friends. Well- <laughs> If I'm exploring Mars with friends in our pod, it's like, well, this is a safe place for us to all wife swap because it's not real. Mm. You know uh, what I'm I saying? Think, actually, I think every social interaction is real. So I don't th- I think, you, uh, 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 uh. you know. Well, good. That's a, that's a driving yeah, force I need to think about. They're there. It's not like they're made up. It's still well, everyone's there. No, like you're in your apartment. Rob's in his apartment. I know. We're taking an armchair trip to Mars. I know, but it's still <laughs> us. <laughs> yes. Arriving at fake Mars. Uh, uh, okay, I'm gonna get off the pervy stuff, oh, but I just no. had to. I would be. I wouldn't be being true to myself if I didn't bring up that aspect. By the way, I just. I just can't resist. That puts a whole new color on the lazy boy. But you know, <laughs> just for what it's worth. Oh, believe me, I will have the lazy boy version of the pod I sit in <laughs> when the time comes. Um, but your Oxford philosophy. I'm glad that's in your stew as someone who is actually one of the people with their hands on the, the levers because I'm I'm inclined to think you do think about this stuff in a fulfillment way and in a personal prosperity way more than maybe someone else could be driven. Do you have to call upon that frequently? I mean, you guys more than anybody hmm. have to truly think about the future of your products more than, say, I'm from Detroit, so I'm from the automotive industry. It's like, our big thought is like, is it ethical to make a car that goes over 220? Well, you can't really drive it anymore. Let's fuck it. Let's do it. You know, that's about the end of that thought. Uh, but by the way, even that thought is evolving because you get to autonomous vehicles. What is the ethics of sacrificing the person in the vehicle versus saving the school children yeah. who are crossing the road, et cetera, et cetera. It's getting much more world complicated. And so 
I find the philosophy stuff is pretty central to who I am. I mean, one thing we do as entrepreneurs and as investors is we're predictive anthropologists, e.g. markets going this way, technology going this way, humans will react the following way to these new things that are being constructed. And part of that is imagining the possible and then trying to shape it. And that kind of sense requires like a theory of human nature and part of what I think philosophy along with psychology and other things is to have an active theory of human nature. And I think most entrepreneurs do, even if they say, well, people just want things that are cheaper or want things that are faster delivery and so forth. Those are relatively easy to understand theories of human nature. But I think all of these future products and services, all of them go to what do you think that means with a theory of human nature? And that's part of where philosophy becomes essential. Stay tuned for more Armchair Expert, if you dare. We are supported by BetterHelp. Listen, I understand that sometimes you want to keep things to yourself, process your emotions in your own time. But if you keep everything bottled up, it can have some serious consequences. I have therapy on Saturday. I'm really looking forward to it. I had therapy this morning. Yeah, you did. Yeah, and it put me in the greatest mood. We had a long, big day, and I just felt much better for having you were some... not to out you. You were a little grumpy going in. I was. I was. I was to be <laughs> Rob and I received some texts. Yeah, I was morning. locked out of my therapy setting, <laughs> which is this attic. <laughs> but then you felt much better after. I felt much better, and I even made some apologies. Um, talking things out can be so helpful, and if you want a safe space for that conversation, I recommend therapy. Check out BetterHelp if you've been thinking of trying therapy. It's entirely online, convenient, and flexible. It's also easy to get started. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist. You can even switch therapists at any time for any reason for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash DAX today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash DAX. We are supported by Squarespace. Guys, we have a Squarespace website that's just gorgeous. That Wobby Wob, you uh, you built that yourself using all the templates, yeah? I sure did. Yeah, easy peasy? So easy. Well, the best part about Squarespace is it's an all-in-one website platform for entrepreneurs to stand out and succeed online. You can get discovered fast with integrated, optimized SEO tools, and you can choose from professionally curated layouts and styling options with Squarespace Blueprint. Plus, you can kickstart or update written content on any website, product description, or email with Squarespace AI. Head to squarespace.com for a free trial and save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain with the code DAX. We are supported by ZipRecruiter. Are there some fantastic concerts coming to your city this summer? Mine too. In fact, Anderson Pack's playing at the Hollywood Bowl. I can't wait for Ooh, it. Ooh, that's exciting. If you want to be sure to see your favorite artist, you need to jump on it right away. I've already DM'd him saying, yes, I got to be in that front row. When you want the best, you have to act quickly or someone else will get it instead. It's like if you're hiring for your business, you want to find the most talented people for your open roles before the competition scoops them up. So what's the best way to do that? ZipRecruiter. ZipRecruiter finds qualified candidates fast. And right now you can try it for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash DAX. Got your eye on a rock star candidate? ZipRecruiter's invite to apply feature lets you cut the line. Once you review ZipRecruiter's list of the most qualified candidates for your job, you can easily invite your top choices to apply to encourage them to apply sooner. 
Amp up your hiring performance with ZipRecruiter and find the best fast. See why four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. Just go to this exclusive web address right now to try ZipRecruiter for free. ZipRecruiter.com slash DAX. Again, that's ZipRecruiter.com slash DAX. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. This is such a rare opportunity. I have to ask this question that circulates in my brain all the time, and I feel like you'd be really equipped to answer it for me. So I am largely pro-technology for multiple reasons. One is I just think you're fooling yourself if you think you can stop it. So part of me is just kind of a, a realist position on it. And so then admitting defeat already, then, well, let's try to be a part of the conversation that makes it good. So I'm there. My one still reservation, and I think it's incredibly complicated, is I think we'd all feel safer if these companies were quicker to recognize when the outcome of the technology was completely unpredictable. We can't, with all of our philosophers, our anthropologists, and our psychologists, predict what incentivizing length of view is, or learning that our identity is so much more fragile than we would have guessed. If you listen to the rabbit hole, New York Times podcast, it's so great. Like a normal person can be incrementally driven somewhere insane. Now, I can accept all that fallout. I just need to feel safe that then YouTube's going to respond like this when they know it. And Facebook's going to respond like this. And now here comes second part, which is the economic aspect. I'm fearful that our current civil litigation setup paradigm is one that makes the penalty so large for admitting failure or mistake that that it that in fact is what's driving this huge delay in admitting that there was something wrong. I think like for Facebook to go, yeah, man, fuck, we didn't see that coming and now people are doing this. If they admit that now they're liable for all these people who ended up being all these different things. And so, A, do you agree with that assessment? And B, how do we solve that? I agree with both challenges. I do think it's one of the reasons why the companies tend to draw such a firm line within where they have legal protection, because once they go beyond that line of legal protection, it becomes a political question or a judgment of art or kind of the juries that say, oh, you got burned by a cup of coffee. Here's $600 million, et cetera, et cetera, kind of thing. And so I think that's one in order to navigate that. And then the, I think the other is also that all of these tech companies kind of started as these kind of folks who had some ideas in the garage and were kind of building and they were kind of like, ooh, we're going to create this new future. And they haven't really realized that once you get to a certain scale, you have the responsibility at kind of the size of society. And the first time I had this thought was at PayPal, because when we got to 100 million people, I was like, wow, with 100 million people, we have a certain number of embezzlers and thieves of a certain number of murderers. Well, 100 million people is a lot of people. There's a lot. Yeah, you, yeah. Have, you have the general population <laughs> at that point. Yes. Yeah. And so you have to then start comporting yourself in that way, which is one of the reasons why, of course, we have governments and police forces and other things. And obviously, we can define it in different ways. And the scope is different. And the responsibilities of private companies is different. But you need to think about that is also what do you think of as society as your customer. And then to do that, you have to be in discussion. You have to be saying, hey, we do, because like, for example, why do people uh, feel less trust? You say, well, there's no issue here. It's like, well, no, we know there's an issue. We know there's an issue with misinformation. We know there's an issue around this whole vaccine craziness. We know there's issues here. 
and saying there's no issue, like, is trust destroying, <laughs> right? So, well, but again, I'm a little sympathetic to these companies because I think it gets to a point where it's like they recognize if we acknowledge this, that we knew this 18 months ago and we didn't act fast enough, the fate of the company is now at risk. Like it's the cigarette paradigm. It's like, if you acknowledge it, then the company's gone. So as soon as, soon as the options on the table for the company are disillusionment or complete bankruptcy versus uphold this lie, that's a pretty powerful incentive. For sure. Although, by the way, the tobacco company parallels are ones that I think are fall short on a couple of fronts. One, tobacco, sure, it's fun. You get a little bit of a nicotine rush, but doesn't have <laughs> significant upsides, which include, like, for example, staying connected with your family and friends and, and getting relevant information, all the stuff that exists through this. And then the second yeah. part of it is, Always when we're going through society, there's like bullying at school as well as cyberbullying. There's there's all these things that can lead to feelings of despair or other kinds of things. And you have to be you have to try to be careful about them, but they're not quite the same thing as lung cancer. <laughs> right? Yeah, it's it's a very lazy parallel. Yeah. I'm just I'm trying to identify a situation where it is an existential issue for a company. Yes. No, on that I agree with. The thing yeah. is, is that if you say you're in a situation where if you acknowledge that there have been issues here, you have potentially uncapped liability and uncapped beatings. Well, everyone rational will say, no problem. There are no problems. <laughs> yes, that's my concern, yeah. is that that is the catch-22 that these companies are often in. Yes, and I think that's a wise thing that's not often recognized, along with, of course, the fact that part of the question about Frequently what's going on in the press and frequently what's going on in politics is grandstanding. Like, let's take a specific issue, which is what we should be doing about these companies is antitrust. And you're like, oh, so you think you'd have better information flow if you had 10 Facebooks versus one. <laughs> right, right, right. Like, right, well, right. why does that logic happen? <laughs> right? Like, yeah. <laughs> like, it usually just literally doesn't make sense. And across the whole the whole iteration, like all of them, in terms of the, what kinds of things are, we have this issue, so therefore antitrust. Well, well, that issue is not solved with antitrust, right? It may be an important issue to solve. There may be ways the government needs to get involved in it, although getting involved in an intelligent way that doesn't enshrine the past against the future. Let's, like, let's prevent the future. Like, that's a bad idea. Let's make a good future. That's a good idea. Mm. <laughs> right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. I think we're just now realizing like the the power, which is embarrassing that it's taken this long, but we are just now realizing the power that technology has. And now I feel like it's incumbent on us to like put ethics committees in all these companies and things like that. So, so as opposed to the main focus being let's make product or let's all meet in Mars, there's somebody there who's saying, and it might cause this or it might do this. Like, we have to have that, I think. Yeah, I agree. And by the way, I think because we're in a very high arc of public criticism of Facebook, people are neglecting the thing. Well, actually, in fact, they have they've hired a bunch of people who are studying it and right. who are will, who are able to ask challenging questions. And that's a good thing. Now, yeah. we would like them also to then say, OK, when you found the challenges, what are you doing about it? See, yeah, I have so much sympathy for, like, you can have 80 anthro professors in these meetings. They're unknowable because we are in completely uncharted water. There's so many counterintuitive outcomes for this stuff. We can actually look at a billion people's behavior in a click of a, you know, 
I don't believe we'll be able to predict with any, I, I don't, I'm not very confident. This is all trial and error. You can't model it out. So what I would feel safer with is that we have a really rigorous transparency and a rigorous response time to when we find out this thing's going sideways, we need to redirect. And I'd like to depenalize that behavior in some fashion. I don't know how you do it, but I feel like we're in a math equation that's never going to spit out the answer we want if these are all the incentives. And in, in, Well, yeah. this is one of the things I suggested when I was talking to some of the folks in the Obama administration about this, which is, well, look, you set up an agency, but not as opposed to a regulatory agency of saying, thou shalt not X, and thou shalt... It's like, look, if you guys tell us what problems you're struggling with and kind of what your, your progress is and tell us how you're investing in it, we will give you safe harbor on the things you tell us about. Now, we may go, whoa, that's a big one. You need to really be working on that really hard right now. But at least we're having the discussion, yeah. <laughs> right? Uh-huh. Reed, I like you. Sometimes when I talk to folks that have made it big in the tech business, I have a, a unfair expectation that maybe they won't be as um, demonstrative, oh. expressive. Oh, uh-huh. uh, f- this is great. I just, I, are, I like you and I'm sad that we didn't chat before you heard me rail about Afghanistan, which I have no business doing. Um, but it was fun. <laughs> I'm going to vent my thing. This notion that we do anything in Afghanistan for the women of Afghanistan, I just find kind of a repugnant thing to lean on considering the Russians had them all in school when we overthrew them. I don't know. I just, I think it's a you know, it's, oh, yeah. it's, it's all cheap. Self, it's all fucking rationalization. cheap. Although mm. the one thing I would say is it is a true North that we should stay committed. The women of Afghanistan are the, the biggest losers in this whole thing. And we should stay committed yeah. to trying yes. to do something right by them. Thousand percent. I just have a hard time hearing a general tell me that's why they want. I'm just <laughs> yes. like, that's why we invaded. <laughs> okay. I listened to your podcast because your book is Masters of Scale, Surprising Truths from the World's Most Successful Entrepreneurs. It's based off of your podcast, which is Masters of Scale. And I listened to Ray Dalio this morning, which was a fantastic episode. And someone we keep, Eric keeps begging us to have on, who we'd love to have on. That's neither here nor there. I would love for you to first explain scale because that in itself is an interesting concept. I don't know if everyone's aware of. So at least the way I define scale, which is kind of the impact you have in life, is the number of people you impact times the depth of impact you have on them times persistent over time. So it's a cross mm, product of wow. X times Y times Z. Um, and obviously uh-huh. the details in each of these, like, well, what does deep mean? Does deep mean you're having a lot of fun? Does deep mean that you've changed your mind on something? Does deep mean that you've got new economic opportunities? The number of people, obviously, some people you might impact deeply, some lightly. So there's kind of a scope there. But time is kind of, does it have a persistent effect in your life? Does it define some important element of the world that you're navigating? That's how I think of scale. And I think of when we're building products or services or companies or institutions, those are the ones when I say scale, what I mean. Okay. And then would I be wrong though, to say even like more basic than that, uh, John D. Rockefeller was sending one train car of oil on five different routes that were running to where he needed. And he said, Hey gang, if you dedicate one full route to me, I'll load up every train car with it. Your costs will go down by half and mine will go down by half. That's also a definition of scale, right? Well, it's scale when, like, one train car of fuel, not so much scale. Right. And this is over time. 
train cars every day for the next year, where that oil is the thing that powers the entire town and everything else, then you begin to get into scale. Right, 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 right. Or we have a diaper company. And uh, the example I always give is like, if we can walk into Walmart and start at 7,000 stores, we can start with the price being half of what our competitors are. So that's just, that's a an economy of scale yes, or a benefit of scale exactly. in that situation. But it's because it's 17,000 stores, which meets X hundreds of thousands of people, <laughs> et cetera, mm -hmm. et cetera. Yeah. Just as a fellow nerd, I'm embarrassed I've forgotten his name, but um, I don't know if you ever listened to um, Sam Harris's podcast. Of course. But he had this, okay, so he had a guy on that talked about scale in this mind-blowing way. It was about that every single thing scales up, up into the universe. Does Jeffrey West? That sounds right. Yeah, he's a Santa Fe Institute guy, I think. Yeah, comparing like the way a body, a human body yeah. is mapped out. That if you look at the structure uh, and design of the human body, it almost perfectly maps onto what a city has. Yeah, and even crazy. the city has that same fractal quality that the county will have in the state and so on. I don't know that I've ever had my mind blown so much on an episode other than that one. So there's an Eames film that also does this, that goes from cell all the way up to the galaxy. Oh, really? Yeah. And that's kind of different levels of the camera and lens. Given that you're a kind of a, a visual story guy as well, it might be worth looking at. Oh, I would love that. Yeah, because then you start, for me, who's an atheist, I start getting suspicious about everything. Like, how could this form kind of be consistent through everything we see? Yep. Is a head scratcher. Well, we do live in a mathematical universe, if nothing else. Right, yeah. right. Okay, so when you were deciding, you've done 100 episodes of the podcast? That's right. And do you have favorites? You must have favorites. <laughs> Well, actually, in general, I'm not great with the favorites question, not only when you try to ask which of your children are the most pretty or, <laughs> or, or wonderful, which is the usual question. I tend to have a favorite for X. It's a little bit like you say, do you have mentors? Like, yes, I have Anil Busri, who's a mentor in enterprise. I have Jeffrey Weiner, who's a mentor in scale organizations. I have David Z, who's a mentor in consumer internet investing, da 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 da, -da as a kind of a way of doing this. Similarly, if you ask me kind of like different vectors, like you could say, well, which conversation most surprised you? Say, oh, this one. Which one did you learn something from that you thought you knew the opposite of? Oh, this one. Yeah. Okay. So let me get more specific. So when people ask me that, I, I Dog the Bounty Hunter is always top on my list just because of the counterintuitiveness of his real character. I found to be like such a real-time revelation and such a beautiful dude that I, I just, I love it. So who shocked you with maybe their emotional intelligence? Because you're going after people that that's not what they're primarily known for. So like who is a human just shot out at you is like, oh, they've got something. Emotional intelligence. And we, we are very selective of the because like it's only people I want to spend time talking to. <laughs> yeah. I'd say probably one of the surprises there was Tyra Banks. Okay. Who brought a kind of a very like... I, you know, and this may be the classic explode your stereotype, you know, here's a amazing supermodel, supermodel, et cetera, et cetera. <laughs> and is actually, in fact, really pragmatic, down to earth, kind of trying to understand things and approach supermodeling the way an entrepreneur would, which is to say, okay, how do you get product market fit? What are the things I do in order to do that? <laughs> you know, versus the, oh, it's because I'm beautiful. <laughs> right, right, right. You know, right. et cetera, et cetera. So that was definitely one that was kind of a surprise. And there's also because, First time I ever talked to her was on 
the show. So. Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> and how about someone who changed your mind radically, which is, I imagine, a rare experience? Well, one of the funny things was the interview I did with Zuckerberg, which is a number of years ago. And you should say you're one of the original investors of Facebook. Yes. Yeah, okay. I, was, I was in the first money in. Peter Thiel, Mark Pincus, and I. And so people like to characterize the move fast and break things as a principle of that's how destructive he is. And actually, in fact, which is a classic kind of rhetorical device, which was actually, in fact, speed really matters. And it's okay if you breaking things internally to the company, way systems work, et cetera, et cetera, in order to really deliver a product fast and learn very fast. And by the way, speed is essential to consumer internet and general startups. And so it's a great way of, of articulating that principle. And then someone's talking about, oh, they've changed that principle. Now it's move fast with stable infrastructure. And I, <laughs> I internalized what the person had told me, which is they've grown up. They've now gotten out of their teenage years and they're now adults. And I was like, yeah. so, so I figured, oh, I'd ask Zuckerberg what that growing experience is like. And he looked at me puzzled. He said, no, it's the same principle. It's the net, how fast are you moving? How fast are you evolving your product? In the early days of a startup, the basic way to know that you're moving fast enough if some things break. In later stage, when you're very large and have a whole bunch of customers and, and systems that depend on you, when you break, you break hard. So you miss, must keep your infrastructure stable. So it's keep moving really fast, but don't break your infrastructure. Right? Yeah, the principle is still move as mm -hmm. fast as you can, yes. basically. Right. And that was like the, oh, right. That's still correct. And this kind of listening to these other parrots going, we knew it was better. Da, 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 da. And I was like, okay, note to self, don't listen, understand what the first principles are, understand what the game you're in is, understand what they, the nature of competition is, the nature of what your product cycle is, and do that. And that was kind of where I thought I knew something and I was like, oops, nope, nope, this is right. <laughs> well, I was even shocked to see when I was reading about you that yes, growth, that speed is the variable that you think most needs to be nurtured. And, and I guess, because we started this diaper thing three years ago and we've been growing fast. And I guess I've probably been someone who's been like, well, hold on, slow down. Let's make sure everything we're doing. So I guess for me, that was a little counterintuitive. So tell me what the cost and the benefit of that, of speed is. So Blitzscaling, which is my third book, the one before uh, Master Scale, is the price definition is prioritizing speed over efficiency in an environment of uncertainty. And you'd say, well, that's kind oh, of crazy. Listen to that. Wow. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, that's so the opposite of how I operate. Yeah, wow. Yeah. <laughs> and look, the reason is, is sometimes because we live in and here I'm borrowing from from your guys world, Glen Gary, Glen Ross markets, right, <laughs> which is. First prize Cadillac, second prize steak knives, third prize you're fired. And <laughs> also ABC, always be closing and yeah. ABR is our saying. So <laughs> yes. please continue. We're, we're embroiled in it. Yeah. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and so what that means then is the first mover to scale is the company, the product that gets the Cadillac. And so uh, whether it's PayPal, whether it's Uber, whether it's Airbnb, whether it's Google, whether it's et cetera, et cetera, Facebook, LinkedIn. That's the game. And that's part of the reason why, because like you say, well, what is it that Silicon Valley knows? Because half of the NASDAQ is within 30 miles of Palo Alto. Like Silicon Valley is three and a half million people. That's everybody. That's not people in the tech industry. That's everybody who lives there. The tech industry is yeah. a tiny fraction of that. Why is it that half of the NASDAQ comes out of that? And that's because 
the understanding that actually, in fact, the tech companies of the future are built by moving very fast. Because not only do we have local, like intense Silicon Valley competition, now there's global competition and Chinese competition and everything else. And so you have to be able to do that. And it's kind of the question of how do you do it? Now, by the way, speed is relative to competition. So you say, well, I'm creating a new hardware gadget phone. Well, yeah, make sure the things you're shipping work. Because if you don't, right. if you ship something that's broken, you're dead. <laughs> right. Yeah, you only get one shot at that. Yes, right. So you have to be thinking about faster than the competition, but still within the zone of what your product is. Now, a consumer internet product, hey, take the, you know, move fast and break things. In the very early days, in 2004, 2005, if Facebook went down for a couple hours, eh, not a very big deal. Right. Whatever. Right. You people are a little grumpy, <laughs> right? It's like, okay, you're like, fix it, move on, keep moving. But now... But now Instagram had a bomb. Oh my God, for like an hour and everyone panicked. People jumped out of windows, I think. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. So move fast with stable infrastructure. (laughs) I asked who your favorites are because obviously you have to pare down what is 100 great conversations into something that'll be a book. So you're definitely parsing out things you loved. And I wondered, what was that selection process like? How did you decide that? Well, it was a combination of a few things. So part of the reason I do a book is because some people learn better through books than audio, audio for other people. Uh, groups uh, generally learn better through books. So if you wanted to have three or four people or a company or a team talking about something. So we kind of parsed it into a set of kind of what we thought were really important and key enduring lessons, like the fact that in entrepreneurship, you encounter a lot of adversity and a lot of no's. How do you adjust to them? What are ways you can bring in your social mission? What are the ways that you must always keep a learning mindset? And then we said, okay, so these are the kind of key themes that we need to make sure are there in the written format and the, the kind of engagement. Now, let's look at the set of conversations and say which people kind of best added insight, color, emotional presence and connectivity, the tool set for doing it. And then let's add them in. For example, one of the, it was very funny because June Cohen and I, she's the CEO and the executive producer, had made the decision that we're going to be 50-50 gender balanced at the very beginning because we knew there were all these great entrepreneurial women's stories that just weren't being told. And we only made it public because it was something like Women's Awareness Week or some conference or something said, oh, we'd love you to come on. We're like, oh, I guess we should say this rather than just do it Um, and do it and do it, of course. And so we wanted to make sure that that there's also the right kind of spread of voices because there are people who are amazing in all these different ways. And so people could say, ah, I see it here. When you make that pledge, do you then find out it's a little harder to keep than I was guessing? A hundred percent. Yeah. There are women that I know who have awesome stories that I have been asking for years. Yeah. I do think part of this is because I've said it before, but I think part of it is with minority guests and female guests, if they are Mindy or of of a level that you're asking, that we're asking, they might not have two hours in their day to do it because there aren't enough opportunities. So those people are busy. They're in all the movies. They're, you know, like. Yeah, that's one of Monica's explanation. Like someone like Kevin Hart, like he's doing every single aspect of the business and really a fucking podcast is a low priority. I get it. Because they're not represented the way they should be in film. So they're like, okay, we have five black guys we go to, Kevin Hart, Will Smith, (laughs) this, this. And so they're doing everything. Yeah, look, and I think that I've thought about that too. Part of the pitch that I make, because obviously 
part of what we do on Masters of Scale is say, here are exemplars of scale leaders, scale entrepreneurs, scale executives. And those folks are folks that we should all learn from. And it's an important leadership role to go do that. Now, that being said, like I'm aware of one of the problems, like I have a couple of my friends who are leaders within the minority world. And I say, look, I know you get asked to do this stuff all the time to do these things. And so, and I know I can't help you by being a voice of the people of color community, right? I just, I can't help you with that. So yeah. let me help you in other ways to free up the time because we need you in society helping with this. So let me help on other ways to give you more time and ability to do that. Because I recognize yeah. that it, it falls, unfortunately, as a disproportionate burden. So let me help on these other things to try to help with that because as a healthy society, as the society that we want to be in, we do need your voice. Yeah. And by the way, as we're talking about, it's like I'm not factoring in that women generally are going to have far more responsibilities childcare wise. So that's like another thing that's going to be on their plate. That's not on a lot of our male guests. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Sadly. <laughs> Hopefully society is changing in that way, but we'll see. Yeah, I think so. Slowly. But yeah, there was a meme that went around that was like, my husband is a working dad is something that I've never said. No one's ever said. It's and it's true. true. It's true. <laughs> I've never been described as a working yeah. dad. Yeah. <laughs> Stay tuned for more armchair expert if you dare. This episode is brought to you by Natrol. Sleep is a big deal. If you're not getting your Z's in, then it just makes everything so much more difficult and you feel a long way from the top of your game. So every now and then, not being able to get sleep and stay asleep is so annoying and you think, ah, if only there was something that could help. Well, there's sleep and then there's Natrol Sleep. Natrol is America's number one drug-free sleep aid brand, helping you fall asleep faster and stay asleep longer. Natrol melatonin gummies are made with clean ingredients like 99% pure melatonin to work with your sleep cycle, helping you sleep better, making the next day your best day. Natrol, sleep tonight, live tomorrow. Click, tap, or visit natrol.com to shop now. This product helps with occasional sleeplessness. These statements have not been evaluated by the FDA. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent diseases. Apple Card is the perfect cash back rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co forward slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank, USA, Salt Lake City branch. Subject to credit approval, terms apply. We are supported by New Balance. Whether you're going for your first ever jog around the park, getting ready for a marathon, or even picking up the pace on the last stretch before you get home, if you run, you're a runner. Whether you need shoes for comfort, stability, or race day speed, they've got you covered. Because the only right way to run is your way. New Balance. Run your way. Visit newbalance.com running to learn more. I really like the Ray Dalio conversation, and I saw in you some 
poise that I admire. So first things about that interview, which I enjoyed, is it's it's talking about the value of like Socratic discourse in any kind of group dynamic and, and how people should encourage yet set guardrails up for a healthy, lively debate. And the, and the example you set up the episode with is like Ray Dalio bet everything at one time in his career on something that didn't pan out. And in his conclusion was, I didn't have really anyone in my life challenging how I thought about things. And I think a lot of entrepreneurs must suffer from that because it's generally starts as a one person show. And your job is to kind of be a romantic and sell people on this idea you have. And so the thing that's your best arrow in the quiver is also can be your downfall. So it's like, yeah, how do you advise people to keep that, to barricade that and also be completely open to criticism? Because I suffer from this. So look, it's hard. One of the reasons why the first chapter in the book is learn from no's. But what I do and what I recommend to people do is you pitch the full idea. You pitch the, here's why I think this idea is really interesting. This is why I think the market's interesting. This is why I think the time is now. This is why I think I could pull it off. Really quick, this is why people are going to let strangers stay in their house. Yes, for example. Let's start there. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> renting a room, renting a couch, renting an apartment, and thinking it's a great thing, not a Friday Everyone's the 13th, nightmare. part seven. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or getting in the car with strangers. Yeah. It's like the first thing you're taught as a five-year-old not to do, and now we're all doing it. Yes. Great point, Monica. <laughs> so, exactly. And so you pitch it, and then you say, what's wrong with the idea? Not what do you think of it, but what's wrong with it? Because if you say, what do you think of the idea? People talking to you say, oh, you must want encouragement. Oh, it's great. You know, good luck. You know, blah, blah, blah. Thinking, oh, no chance. Yeah. And so you go, what's wrong? And they say, okay, well, I think a stranger's not going to get in the car. And you say, well, and this is part of like the really best investing, which includes entrepreneurship, is to be contrarian and right. So you go, okay, smart people have a good thought. The good thought is, the stranger's not going to get in the car. The stranger's not going to rent a room or an apartment or let a room or an apartment. What is your theory about why these smart people's criticism is wrong? And what is the thing you're going to do in order to navigate it? Because, by the way, if you happen to be right, then it will be huge, right? Because in the Airbnb case, that get this gets to the fact that it's like kind of completely redefines kind of travel experience, how you connect to communities, what the availability of space looks like in various ways and how you do it. People who are doing it as hosts obviously go, this is a key additional income. I also get to meet some interesting people depending on how I'm doing it. Travelers go, ooh, this is actually a much more interesting experience, much more relevant, connected to the community, priced differently, et cetera, as ways of doing it. And that's like, ooh. And then, of course, as it gets to scale, to our earlier discussion of scale, then they can begin to build in these things to make it as safe as a hotel or safer than a hotel. Similar with the ride sharing is to say, okay, well, okay, I'm going to get in a stranger's car. Then all of a sudden, I now have a complete availability of a transport grid. I don't need to have two cars. Maybe I only need to have one. Like I go, ooh, I was over at my friend's and I was drinking way too much, <laughs> right? And now I can actually get a place where I could get back and do it safely for everyone, including me. And obviously, as again, as it gets to scale, they can answer the safety questions and the, and the kind of validation questions. And, and if anything because of the evolution of the ecosystem and the technology, make it even safer than the previous taxi system. I met some guy in Utah recently who runs software for large apartment owners. 
And I said, like, what is the future of this other than just managing people, submitting to, to rent a place? And dude, what Airbnb is now on the verge of scaling to, which you would already know, but I didn't know, is like, people are going to own apartments in this fashion. They're going to own a set of properties and they're going to move freely as they want to. And I was like, now that's the next step that seemed inconceivable to me. Yep, exactly. And then obviously you can make it work economically because of Airbnb. Yeah. Oh my God. It's so, it, it really is. It is fascinating. Because it is what you said earlier, speed over other stuff, because I would think you would have to make it safe first or no one would sign up, but you're saying the opposite. And that is what happened. Yeah. I'm trying to think like, no, now you have to check the tag. They have to say your name, all that stuff's newer. <laughs> yes. Right, because right. you iterate towards it. Now, it wasn't that it was completely unsafe in the beginning, because uh, yeah. by the way, frequently in the early, the very earliest things, the the early adopters are just kind of like like people in a rural community. They're like, "Hey, we're just human beings making this work." It's when you get to the hundred million level where you begin to get the criminals and other people, and that's when you need to begin to get the scale systems and governances and protections in it as you're scaling up. And, you know, like early adopters tend to be a little bit more adventuresome, more willing of, oops, the room wasn't available. What do I do? You know, et cetera, et cetera. And then you have to build in the systems as you get to scale on that. And that's the pattern by which these companies got built. Because if you, for example, you're saying Airbnb, what I'm first going to do is spend a year working on my identity verification system. Right. Not going to work Not as a company. Work. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So I would imagine just to um, project onto you, I've been writing and selling screenplays long enough that when I sit with somebody who's on the same endeavor, it's now my blueprint, right? I can just see, well, you know, you kind of tied up all your emotional issues at the end of the second act. So there's really no reason for us to watch the third act. Like it's just very laser clear to me. And I have to imagine as an investor and someone who's in these companies really early, it must be very clear to you. Are you able to just go like, yeah, that's great. You pointed that out, but you guys have really, you know, you're going to have a problem here. Does that become easier and easier for you to see? It does become easier, but not perfect. Because again, being contrarian and right is to say like, okay, this could be really bold and big and different, but is the time now do these people have the right plan or the right people to kind of get there? Now, in the case of the Airbnb, that was one of the ones where two minutes into the presentation, I said, okay, I'm going to make you an offer to invest. Let's just make this a working session, right? Like I already, I've already done reference right. checks on the three founders because I happen to have done it beforehand. Like you guys have already like clearly demonstrated this is interesting. Let's just make it a working session. You get to know me too. Yeah. There's others where it's like, well, let's talk about this some more. And some of those end up, being really strong successes, like Convoy, which is you know, essentially, in parlance, Uber for trucking. And I was like, well, is there really a different space that would really be a different technological base, a different definition of the kind of the human network that's in it? I was like, yes, and then this is the right one amongst all the startups. And then there's others that are kind of more challenging where you thought, ooh, a social network for the high school would work. Well, at least that one didn't. <laughs> yeah. I mean, immediately I go, well, you need, you need to resell your client base every three years. That's a, that's scary. Yes. I mean, although if it's oriented around the school and it's kind of almost like the school infrastructure, then the, the, the new folks will naturally join. So you, didn't right. have to, you, didn't, you wouldn't necessarily have to have a sales effort to do that. The question that occurred to me, I had an answer to that one. The principal problem is 
it's very hard to do new products in the education space because there's so many antibodies to it must stay the same way that it was running in the 60s. Yeah, like, yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. I often marvel at the tech space, I guess mm -hmm. particularly when I think of Bill Gates, because I think you're not on like a movie studio and that like you're mashing up really dramatically different skill sets, like a creative writer isn't an accountant, isn't a transportation department for a film. Similarly, like I think like Bill Gates, his unique thing is like the fact that he could comprehend all these facets of this enormously quickly growing business, like not just the software, not just the story, not the movie, but the marketplace and the delivery and all these things. I would imagine you are very much a producer in that respect where you're dealing with very creative people or maybe even very technological savvy people. You also need salespeople and like you're really pulling from all these things. It dovetails into what you were talking about with Ray Dalio, which is like getting experts from all these different fields as being a part of this think tank that can bring all these things. So how do you go about assembling that? And you yourself have to have this really comprehensive notion of what a tech company is yeah a hundred percent it's one of the reasons why like when say well what are essential features to founders it's that you're an infinite learner you're learning in all these different range arenas you're learning uh different scale of management different kinds of problems different go to markets you're assembling you're recruiting you know always be recruiting you're assembling a group of people around you who themselves need to be learners because you can't necessarily hire people who go i know 100 absolutely how to do this but like, what does that kind of pattern look like? And yeah. how does that kind of operate? Not only is the network of people you're assembling the employees, but also investors and advisors and board members and partners and et cetera, et cetera. And you have to be getting all of these networks to collaborate, to play on the, on the relevant teams together. And that's part of the reason why the entrepreneurial journey and generally, but especially the technological entrepreneurial journey is in fact super hard and most companies don't succeed. Yeah. Okay. So when starting a podcast like this, is your first thought like, well, who the fuck's going to listen to this? So what, how many tech entrepreneurs out there? I got a lot out of it, not having that as a pursuit. So how does your scale backwards, I guess? What themes are they taking out of this specific endeavor that are applicable to their normal lives? Well, part of what's generally happening as we get to a larger world, 7 billion people, more global world, interconnected in various ways, is that there's more things of scale. And actually, we also have what John Seeley Brown and John Hagel call the topple rate, which is companies that used to be the really big companies in the S&P 500 topple out of it, and that's an increasing percentage. So the revolution of which are the companies that are, that are essentially the largest. And as such, whether you're a in a corporation, whether you're doing a startup, whether you're an institution that's around these kind of organizations that are scaling, whether you're responding to a pandemic and like the coronavirus, which is another example of blitzscaling in a different vector, this kind of notion about kind of how do you get to scale and what are the techniques of doing it and what are the things that can, because there's so many ways to fail getting to scale. What are some of the possible tools possible successes, and what is the kind of things that give you the emotional and psychological fortitude for these very difficult journeys, you know, these climbing Mount Everest kinds of journeys. And that's what we kind of think the audience is. And, you know, I didn't know if it was going to be 
mostly specialists, kind of high-scale tech entrepreneurs, or if it would be the broader world, which is what we seem to be reaching. You seem yeah. to have government people listening to us. We seem to have relatively wide variety of people listening to us. Hopefully it's helpful. I do podcasting as part of my, how do I help the world? It's not my business. We almost have uh, absolute opposite approaches to this because we're starting with the most broadly appealing thing in the world, celebrities on a Monday, and then we're trying to get you esoteric on Thursday. So it's like you went the opposite direction. Somehow both are yielding results. I presume I'm the esoteric on Thursday. Absolutely. Can we give people enough candy on Monday that they'll stick with us on Thursday? Yep. <laughs> so back to you trying to help. One of the things that came out in that episode as well is that we might have a fundamentally flawed approach to learning. This really piqued my interest in that. And I don't know if it was you or Ray that pointed this out, but, but the educational system to begin with covets being right. It rewards being right and incentivizes it in a way that is probably counterproductive to minimally like the Socratic approach or trying to not be right as much as starting a great conversation that through this group dialect will, will become something great. Could you expound on that and tell me like, I, that's what I want you to fix. Will you <laughs> fucking fix my kids' schools so that, that, <laughs> that they're not... <laughs> shot into the same paradigm? Unfortunately, I think that may be a challenge too big for me. <laughs> <laughs> but look, I think, do think it's enormously important that people learn to try, to experiment, to have aspirations that are high enough that they will try some things they fail at, learn from those failures and recoveries, because you're going to be much more successful, much more resilient, ultimately much happier doing it. Because we tend to tell a little bit of this is the problem of these narrative stories, which is the heroic journey where the underdog came from nowhere and did all these amazing things and and never failed and was now lauded by the world. It's like, well, it never uh, works. Howard out. Rourke. Howard <laughs> yes. Rourke. He was always right and yes. everyone was always wrong ultimately. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And everyone shrugged. <laughs> right? Yes, yes. <laughs> right. And so I think that the notion is to say, look, if you're not trying enough things and playing hard enough that you don't fail sometimes, you're not really setting your goals high enough. You're not really playing as ambitiously and aggressive. But look, you ultimately want to have successes. You ultimately want to have amazing things. But failure is just like, no, it's just things you learn from, things you grow upon. And the narrative arc is not succeed, succeed, succeed. You asked me about SocialNet. And the answer is, well, SocialNet was a failure. Like there were all kinds of things I didn't know. It was my first entrepreneurial experience. I tell people that. That doesn't yeah. mean I didn't stop there. I went off and yeah. did PayPal and then I did LinkedIn. And it was like using all of that as learning and going and pursuing what you're doing as part of making this work. And so I think as a system, we need to realize that as individuals, as teachers, as mentors, as parents, as students, as learners, et cetera, that actually in fact go and try have a bias to action, a bias to testing and making this happen, and then use the learnings to amplify, to accelerate, to become wiser, more compassionate, more capable. Yeah. And I'm hesitant to give advice, but one thing I do try to tell young writers is like, and I had to learn this the hard way, which is you sell a project, the studio system is such that they buy a thousand projects and they make 13 movies a year. And there are the stories of people who stick with some script and they fight for it for 12 years and it gets made, but those are definitely the anomalies. So my kind of thought to writers is one I had to give myself, which is 
do I think I am full of infinite great ideas or do I think that was my only good idea? Because if it's my only good idea, yeah, I should fight for it for the rest of my life. But if I think I'm a well of great ideas, just keep moving, keep building, keep. And I, it sounds like you have a similar bit of advice. Yes, very much. And part of to know when to pivot, there's a whole bunch of interesting kind of schools and tools and terminology. And like we had this episode with Stuart Butterfield on how to pivot. And as you have a theory of your game. And if your theory of your game, your new ideas are worse than your old ideas as you're trying to, to pivot to learn, then it's time to really pivot and do a major thing <laughs> to something new. It's like, look, right. I, I tried to tool up the script some. I tried this. I tried that. My new next ideas are not as good as my old ideas. Time to do a new script. Yeah. Okay. So the thing I admired about you in that conversation with Ray was you do a lightning round at the end, which is fun. But he very much wanted to have a protracted debate about AI and the future of AI. <laughs> and comically, it's coming at the end of a conversation that's like, let's have some discourse. <laughs> and yet you somehow, you had the global sight to not get, again, and this is, I'm not throwing shade on Ray. It's just you had the fortitude to resist the ensnarement that I could have never resisted. And I think you've thought more about the future of AI than probably Ray had. So you you had to have been tempted. And I guess I have to imagine that's a product of you having developed all these different ideas and companies. You must have a strategy in that situation that you're using. That's not easy, in my opinion. I guess what it is, is everything I'm doing, I kind of have the theory of the game of what I'm doing. And so, for example, in that episode with Ray, which is this really important things around dialogue, around principles, around seeking your ideas to be challenged and so forth. Getting the magic and the important tool set of that out was the really important thing. It was like, look, we could later have the debate on AI or one way or the other. And I'd be happy, like Ray's awesome. I'd be happy to do that with him in some context. But it was like, well, not here. Like, yeah. And, and the fastest way to do that, as opposed to saying, like one of my favorite Monty Python sketches is the argument sketch, as opposed to saying, no, we're not gonna have that discussion here. Yes, we are, no, we're not. Yes, we are, no, we're not. As part of it, you kind of go, okay, look, here is a quick thing to say here, because that'll make Ray feel like he was heard and he was participated with and in the discussion, and then let's move on. <laughs> let's move to the next Yeah. One. Okay, well, my kind of last question for you, because it actually was, I think kind of the underbelly of what could have been a debate that ultimately wasn't a debate was mm. I've now interviewed 200 experts and they've ranged from the best professors in the world to the best doctors, a fucking crazy privileged group of folks to talk to. And if I had to draw a conclusion now at the end of this four-year experiment, my conclusion would be no one is right. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if that sounds like a weird thing to say to you, but I just, I'll sit with someone who who's brilliant. They're so fucking brilliant. And there's an aspect of their argument that is bulletproof. And then another person has a contrary position and an aspect of their thing. And I, I guess more and more, my conclusion is everything is a spectrum. Somebody might be 59% right and someone's 31% right, but the definitive right and wrong, I'm growing less and less drawn to, or I believe less and less in it. And I just wonder what your thoughts are on that. I have a different point of view. Okay, great, great. <laughs> right. I tend to think that, look, we always know that we're learning. There's a whole bunch about ourselves, about the world that we don't know. Being overly certain that like, I know the following is true, even about stuff you're expert on, entrepreneurship and so forth, is generally speaking, better thought of as a heuristic and something you're learning versus a Newtonian law of physics. 
And it doesn't mean that you don't have a fair amount of depth. Like I have a pretty good sense of like, well, actually, in fact, if you're going to try to start a business selling this narrow thing to a small number of enterprises, you're unlikely to make that work well. And so I'm probably right that that's a terrible idea. And so there is claims to knowledge and so forth, but you should always be open to new insights, new experiences, smart challenges from smart people. Now, someone walks up to me off the street and says, I know this thing about entrepreneurship you don't know. I more or less ignore them. Right, because, sure, sure, sure. because the yeah. higher likelihood of the model is they're crazy, then they have yeah. something to teach me. But even again, that is a percentage call. Yes, exactly. But that's what we're doing is we're navigating these percentage calls. But the percentage calls doesn't mean nobody's right or everybody's wrong. <laughs> but could it be someone's majority right? Yeah, someone could be uh, right about, like, for example, I would say that probably about the stuff that I say about entrepreneurship and scale, I'm probably at least 90% right, but we're still learning. <laughs> right, right, right. I think we're so drawn to the definitive and to yes. the, it is the antidote to anxiety, I suppose. Yeah. I'm trying as a person to grow more towards like being comfortable in this nebulous of that's probably 80% accurate. Yeah, well, maintain curiosity and maintain a learning mindset. Yeah. And then you could still say, look, I think I know that this is the way that modern internet media works. Mm -hmm. But by the way, that you might be wrong about some aspects of it now and you might be, it might be changing. It might just be different yeah. next year or the year after. So keeping that curiosity and learning mindset, I think yeah. is really, is really key. I also think we throw a lot of babies out with the bathwater. If the expectation is a hundred percent and someone, you can point out this 5% that maybe Zuckerberg was wrong. Now I, now I can wipe my hands of everything. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And like one of the things people frequently say, well, there is no truth. There's your truth. There's my truth. Like, no, there is truth right? The risk of taking the vaccine versus the risk of not taking the vaccine is decisively in a COVID thing, much healthier to take the vaccine. And what's more, mm -hmm. articulating the principle that you say, oh, it's my right not to take the vaccine. It's like, well, it's my right to endanger the health of the people around me categorically. It's like, well, I'm not so sure that that's something I would, I would, I would say that you have a right to do. <laughs> right? Yeah. Yeah. So, but I will just point out in that example, I'm with you lockstep. That's my position on it as well. But at the same time, I can recognize if someone's declaring they don't care about their own health in that manner, or they don't think it's beneficial to their own health, then the argument, how could you endanger people around you, holds no water because they don't think it has any detrimental outcome to their own health. So I can also wrap my head around what I'm arguing against. Yeah, but just because people are wrong about one thing doesn't mean they're right about the other, right? To me, it's a little bit of the secondhand smoke argument. It was like, well, don't you? It was like, well, no, the person's already fucking declared they don't give a shit about their own lungs. So why <laughs> do you think they're going to care about strangers' lungs? Well, but to some degree, you'd say, look, you have a right to kill yourself. Yeah, <laughs> right? just do it in your house. Yeah. Yes, exactly. You yeah, don't have a right to kill true. other people. That's the reason yeah. why it's an additional word. You may say... Yeah. My religion tells me that I shouldn't get a vaccine. You're like, fine. If your religion tells you that you should run risks for increased mortality for yourself, you are welcome to do that. Yes, <laughs> <Right>? yes, yeah. <laughs> but your religion doesn't allow you to put the rest of us in that same bucket. <laughs> yeah, I'm with you. I agree with you. Well, Reed, this has been really, really fun. I hope we run into each other in real life and I can likewise. focus all my attention on you because you're so fun to chat with. And likewise, and next Montana conference at the uh, latest. 
Right. And I'll try to keep my opinions on my expertise next time. You're giving me a challenge. going to try to provoke you on some other topic. <laughs> oh, it's so easy. Yeah. Reed. It oh, takes almost easy. nothing to ensnare me. So I hope everyone checks out Masters of Scale, surprising truths from the world's most successful entrepreneurs. Of course, a thanks to Adam Grant, as always. Every single person he encourages yep. me to talk to is always a slam dunk, wonderful experience. So good luck to you, Reed on the book and all your other endeavors. And your podcast is fucking great. It's so well produced, I want to say. I'm listening to it going like, God damn, they spent some time on this. Uh, and it shows. So congrats on a very well done podcast. Well, thank you very much. And I look forward to our future conversations. This has been a lot of fun. Okay. I'll be on yours anytime you want. Yes. Excellent. Okay. Be well. All right. You guys too. Uh, have a great time. Bye. Bye. And now my favorite part of the show, the fact check with my soulmate, Monica Badman. Can you throw me those? Absolutely. Absolutely. Tigress. Oh, thank you. Do you prefer Tigress or Lioness? Tigress, right? Hmm. Tigress on the Euphrates? I think so. They're scarier. Mm. Well, mm. are they? Those lionesses are bad motherfuckers. Yeah. They do all the hunting. Oh, God. They're fighting with hyenas all the time, battling each other. They're mean, man. They're 320 pounds of lethalness. Do I want to be that? Well, we here's all, the we thing. We all know I'm a chinchilla. Hold on, hold on. <laughs> uh, there's an aesthetic component we really need to consider. Okay. I think I'm drawn to lioness for you, of course, because the lioness's muscles are on full display. They're so ripped. You know, they look like... Wow. 300 pound pit bulls. Now the tiger, much longer hair. Oh. So they're big. They're the same size. Okay. You just, you don't see any of that muscle definition. So it's more if you want to kind of be like soft looking and oh. still athletic. And Well, I don't have a lot of muscle. So I don't think it's fair for me to be a lioness then. <gasps> that doesn't seem fair. It's unfair. Well, <laughs> I do think the tigress has as much muscle. It's just not on display. Okay. So that's, I guess, also the case. <laughs> All right. Okay. Now we know. Tigress. Our verdict, Tigress. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. Do you have, are those new shoes? Yeah. Okay. So, Hassan got me two pairs of oh shoes. Oh, my God, Hassan. I know. I know. I know. What I like most about these shoes, well, what I like most about both pairs of the shoes, I would have never got them. Uh-huh. I would never see this on a website and go like, yeah, I love turquoise, bright green, and brown leather. And then almost a like a... Um, what is that netting, that color? Oh, it's like a peach almost. Yeah, peach. There's salmon. Another, uh, uh, salmon. Okay. That was the color I was looking for. Okay. Yeah, so salmon, teal, uh, you know, fluorescent green. Yeah. I'll never order it. And I love them. I love them. Oh, man. They're I'm so, beautiful. You really like them? Yeah. Okay. Great. <laughs> that moves them up. They're New Balance, in case anyone's curious. Newbies. I guess that's, that's, that's relevant. Yeah. Newbies. But I, he and I had only previously talked about Jordy's. Like, I know. I like that he branched. Yeah, well, he's, you know, he's younger. He's, he's so confident. He is. He wears clothes so well. <laughs> he does. They don't wear him. He wears them. He really does. Yeah. I don't know if my clothes wear me or I wear them. I'm not sure. You wear them. Oh, I do. Yeah, you, oh, pick, okay. the, you pick very specific clothes and you mm. wear them. Mm. <laughs> okay, so just like literally I do wear, wear them is what you're saying. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, speaking of wearing shit. Okay. We're in our new sweaters. It's so great. Our new sweatshirts. 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 Yeah. But it's so soft, I, I confused it with a sweater. Exactly. So if people remember last year, we did a marine layer yellow. Limited a dish. Limited dish. Limited run. Yellow. And this year we decided to, without getting sued, we were inspired by the McLaren retro paint scheme. Uh -huh. That's got this beautiful blue in it. Oh, 
You love the blue. I love the blue. It's a baby blue. Mm -hmm. It's a baby, baby blue. And so this year we've done baby blue. But more than that, and this was Monica's suggestion, she said, what if you draw a picture for the logo? And then I did. And it it looks great. You guys are going to love it. (laughs) I'm really proud of it. Get ready to press buy because they're also limited run. We could do another run? We'll see. Okay. I like a limited. Mm. Can't do another. We can do another color eventually. Oh, really? Tell me why. This is just it. We do 500 of the blue. This is it. Wait, 500? Yeah, we're doing 500 this time. What did we do last time? 250. Okay, so we've increased our number. I feel like we should do 10,000. Well, these are the hot. This is going to be the hot. What do we do if this is a hot? They got it. That's this is how you keep people on the hook. What if we are sitting on Ed Hardy right now and we don't know? Don't. We are not. How dare you? (laughs) This is all a ding, ding, ding for my gift guide. Oh, great, 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 great. I love your gift guide, by the way. (sighs) My gift guide has been on a roller coaster. Oh, my gosh. Today was day four. The first day, a lot of people had negative things to say in in what was their main complaint they were just underwhelmed or yeah (laughs) yeah 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 one person said they were taking it personally oh oh wow okay Um, they also though they didn't read it right so they thought that those three items was the whole gift guide the whole thing even though i wrote pretty clearly i'll be doing this for seven days but late in the in the copy like when you first open it, that's is that clear in the first four I sentences? Can't you're blaming me for this. It's I'm not. I'm only attempting to understand it from every angle okay. so that I can really be on your side. Let me pull it up. Okay. Yeah. First ever miniature mouse. This event. is without clicking. This, if you're scrolling, you'd be able to read this. Well. You know what I'm saying? I don't know. Like if people don't take the time to click on the full body of the message, How is do I it know visible that? in the first two lines? No, of course not. I would have to. Go, I guess. Let's see. No, it's today's three picks are the last, okay, the last yeah. bit. And yeah, you have day you three can... of seven. Oh, here we go. This is exactly what I'm talking about. So this is this is what I can view without yeah. clicking on it. First ever miniature mouse's incredibly late and strikingly lackluster gift guide. Right there. You're already telling people this thing sucks, so I'm don't s- complain. I'm setting them up. Yeah. like their expectations. So re- already, like, you already own that this is lackluster, so no one needs to then comment on it. Agreed. Okay. Let me continue. Lackluster gift guide. I promised you a gift guide, so every day for the next week, that is in the first le- three lines. Thank you. Okay, great. So now I can just, I can more cleanly levy a verdict. Okay. Guilty. The next two also start with day two of seven. Well, I added that after after this. Okay, we learned some things. Well, I thought maybe I have to be extra clear. For the slower members of your audience. Yeah, and that's all right. So at first I was upset. Of course. Of course. You felt personally attacked. I felt sad. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) To what level? It was hard for me to tell from the outside. Like, is this where I I get sincere with her? No, I was sincerely like, oh, my God. Like, wow, people are being mean. Well, I, I hate to tell you this. Okay. This is a broader, just okay. Murphy's Law. Okay. Cheering for you on the ride up was really fun. <laughs> <laughs> and now, it's been three years with you being popular. People are like, oh, you know what? You know, I'm going to be a little critical now. But I'm here to help them with their gifts. <laughs> um, okay, and I will say, and I don't know what this means, the meaner comments, they were on armchairs. So I posted on armchair also a, sh- a emoji of a shrugging girl. Yeah. With dark skin, that mm, was me. Okay. And it just said Monica's 
gift guide, if you can even call it that, is up on her Instagram. Personal Instagram. Yeah, I realized I couldn't. I started to feel weird about posting it on Armchair because of all the brands. Oh, right. Like we would get a call. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, So yeah, I felt yeah. like I couldn't do that. So yeah. anyway. That was smart. Directed people to mine and then the comments there were. Hostile. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, well how, give me some examples. Because this could be a ding, ding, ding from Cooper in the Sexiest no. Man Alive thing. <laughs> no, this is real. But he still thinks that's real too. He refuses to. Yeah, you guys are both pretty certain. <laughs> Even though my phone's blowing up every five minutes from somebody trying to get in the rack with you guys. They're all gone. I don't see any. Really? Oh, Rob already oh, went through. Maybe maybe they deleted them because- After they read the- People, I see people giving them shit. Yeah. They, some people came to my some, rescue, which yeah. was really lovely. And then, yeah. But I was so upset that I posted <laughs> after there were mean comments. I said, posting three items every day for a week, but for all of you who aren't interested, no need to follow it or comment. Oh, Smiley yeah. face, thanks, <laughs> exclamation point. You had to draw a little boundary. I did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I'm yeah. okay with that. Yeah, yeah. You know what's really funny is I, I did a boundary, <laughs> and I think it was misread. Uh-oh, what was it? So it was the Gwyneth episode. Uh-huh. And she in the past has brought out some assholes in the comments. Oh. So I I posted that episode and then a picture of my gangly foot. And sure. I, I basically said, like, um, in parentheses at the end of it, Mean people get blocked. Oh, yeah. as a reference to her. Oh, and they thought it was about I, your. Foot? I think some people, yeah, because there were a couple of responses from dudes <laughs> like, "Really, mean people get blocked? Like you, you can't hear something mean about your foot." Oh, and so yeah, that got confusing. And then I had the whole thought of like, do I somehow try to add more words to this to make it more? So, or what am I doing? You yeah, know, like yeah, 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 yeah. What are we doing? Even what are we doing? Twitter's not a real place on planet Earth. <laughs> I almost. Deleted my Twitter account this weekend. You did? Yeah, I was like, I haven't opened this app in 100 years, blah, 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 blah. Yeah. And just as I was about to delete it, I was like, fuck. That is how Leon Bridges responded to me. Mm. Like when we were we playing his music. Yeah, open. I was like, God, I, I don't want to lose the channel. Yeah, don't. But you don't have to look at it. I know. Yeah, and someone's going to ask Leon to come on this week or next week. Or oh, 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 someone is. Someone needs to. Oh, someone, oh, someone needs, needs to. to. So we need Twitter. Oh, yeah. Or you slid into your DMs though, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, look, someone said, they said nobody, absolutely nobody <laughs> wants wooden spoons for a gift. That's not true. No, it's not true. That's not true. I wanted them and I bought them for myself. You got to have wooden spoons if you're going to have uh, stick-free cookware, exactly. which I must have. I can't spend my life fucking SOS padding shit. I really appreciate you being on my side about that. Yes, you're dead right. I mean, Those people are wrong. Thank you. There's a lot of nice guys here that love to get their hands on you. <laughs> Natalie got wooden spoons for her birthday on Saturday. And so. did she like it? Yeah, she asked for them, and oh, her friend got her them. Oh, my gosh. Same. See, there you go. I, I, I feel validated. It wasn't Natalie that made that comment. No. We know that for sure. And if you cook, you do know... They're the best type of utensil, and they look the best, too. You know, it's really interesting. I could see where, okay, let's see. Now I'm just trying. I'm mm -hmm. trying my hardest to find this okay. person's real issue. Sure. Like, what is this person's issue? Why sure. would they take the time to do that? And what pops into my mind as a potential motivation is, you know, mothers, rightly so, are like, stop buying me a vacuum. I have no... Nothing in my stocking. No one thought of me. Oh. Everything you guys get me is to do more domestic duties. Uh-huh. So if that's the pattern you're caught in, right? Uh-huh. And then you're like, don't advise 
anyone to buy me spoons. I want something thoughtful. Like that could have been their weird, unique situation where they're like, no, I don't want more chore stuff. But you don't have kids. It doesn't represent any of that stuff to you. You cook for fun and as a hobby. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Does that make any sense? Yes, but it's not delineated for your mom. I do have for your mom. Oh. uh, Which was towels. Not the hint of pussy coffee. Nope. Oh, okay. (laughs) Which was towels. (laughs) Okay. And. I almost bought those towels for my mom, I thought. Like, I'm looking at your gift guide. I've told you, I love it. It's so flattering. It's great. Thank you. And I was like, what am I waiting for? I should just be absolutely using this gift guide. Yeah. I think I'm going to tonight. Could you give me a pre, like, do you already know the next three days? No. Oh my God. So you panic every morning. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, here's one more thing that people are upset about. Oh, which another grievance, common grievance. And I'm not going to apologize for it. Okay. Some people are (laughs) are upset about the prices. Oh, right. Which I understand, Mm -hmm. but I've been trying to do a mix. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, I recommended on yesterday, I recommended David Sedaris's book. Right. That's affordable. Absolutely. How much were those paddles, the spoons? Expensive. Okay. Yeah. But you're getting a lot. You're getting 13. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Baker's doesn't. Yeah. I, I can see where, yeah, yeah. Like I'll, I'll post a picture of, you know, my razor. Yeah. And I get a lot of like, must be nice. And I get it. I get it. I, I get, get it. it. But it's like, it's weird you would bring this up because there's a documentary about the history of Burton. Uh, the guy who started Burton Snowboards. Watching it, I was thinking, I got obsessed about pricing. Mm-hmm. Like what Burton did amazingly is they stayed at just like middle class, upper middle class. So it was like a still a nice item. Yeah. But it was one that was achievable. Uh-huh. Like finding that price point would be so precarious where it's like it always stays elevated where everyone wants it. But it's still within reach of most people. It doesn't trigger people into thinking that they don't have enough money. Right. Like even Aaron had... I grew up ice skating, so it was like, you, you really either wanted CCMs or Bowers. Okay. Bowers were expensive, but Aaron had them. You know, like that mm. was his big Christmas present. Oh, yeah. And so, I don't know, that's just a magic to pricing. Yeah. And it kind of pertains to what you're saying. It's like, well, yeah, there's some things on that list that are probably 1% people things. Yeah. And there's some things on there that are 85%. And I don't know how people do Christmas. Like, some people do one huge gift. Some mm-hmm. people do little, you know, I, I just don't know. But- all I can do is speak from my heart. Here's the other thing. You're not going to lie and say you're exactly. using suave soap on your ass. Exactly. That's the PTSD. truth. PTSD. I want. I want. <laughs> we came up with an acronym, by the way. I think we should let everyone in on it. Okay. It's for the shower. Yes. The everyone shower. already knows about pits, tits, tits and, and slits. slits. And I thought, well, we should add dicks to this so it's PTSD. That's right. So pits, dicks, slits, and no. Pits, <laughs> tits, slits, and dicks. Yeah. Pits, tits, slits, and dicks. <laughs> Th- that's it. That's what you're watching. And if you have real PTSD, I'm sorry. I'm not at all belittling what you, you've gone through. It's terrible. But also PTSD is a sweet acronym for washing your Which parts asshole, wash? your dick, your vagina, your armpits, well, and your tits. we're not really including asshole. Slits. That falls under oh, slits. Oh, okay. But what's weird is you don't need to wash the tits. No. I, I, no that one's just kind of it's extraneous to, to, keep, to give it some sex appeal. That's so right. it carries on. That's yeah, right. yeah, that's right. That's exactly right. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, Reed, what companies has Reed invested in or started? The problem is I don't I can't know everything he's invested in, I don't think. Well, um, yeah, he owns a 
fund. Venture capital firm. Yeah, venture capital. VC firm. Yeah, VC. PTSD, pits, tits, <laughs> slits, and dicks. <laughs> His venture capital firm is called Greylock Partners. Uh-huh. And he's on the Forbes 2021 list of the world's billionaires. Wow. I didn't realize that. You didn't? Uh-uh. Oh, he's yeah. He's so normal. Yeah, but he started- um, LinkedIn. LinkedIn. Yeah. I mean, that's a- Huge. <laughs> yeah, it's gigantic. I liked that I didn't know that and that it didn't feel like that. Yeah, LinkedIn is the main- Cash cow, golden yes, goose. Exactly. And then PayPal, he was an early- Yeah. Yeah. Guy's so, good. He's really good. He And it was such an enjoyable conversation. I liked him so much. It really was. He's a polymath. And I've turned a corner. Oh, what is it? On the strange schools. Oh, that helped that helped you turn a corner. Yeah, and I was just thought about it and I was like, I'm being judgmental. Oh. And I don't need to do that. Oh, wow. Yeah. So. It was such a good bit though. I know. Can you occasionally play along of for entertainment's sake? Yeah, I'll okay. do whatever yeah. it requires. Well, that's a big admission. Yeah, I mean it's like, yeah, great. People found each other, like minded yeah. people. That's great. I mean, I still have some reservations, but overall, who cares? Who cares about my reservations if these people are happy yeah i've got an update in that respect <laughs> oh let's hear it you know we for years made jokes about a cult and then i was sitting around um just kind of i can't remember what i watched it reminded me but like last year we had like eight black singers on who all learned to sing in the church and i think i was lamenting with john legend about the fact that like I'm an atheist, but God, I want some of these things to mm. really be, you know, and then we were watching something where just the gathering of the people and everything. And then I, I started saying out loud, like, someone just needs to lead a, a movement that's just a movement of congregation on a Sunday. Mm -hmm. Maybe you read some famous uh, literature out loud that starts a conversation. And then you have all the marked things to to replace it. You, and you're singing in the whole nine yards. And so... All of a sudden I saw, I, I realized, oh my God, this is me be becoming a cult leader. I've convinced myself oh, wow. of this movement that has to happen where people can congregate oh and enjoy God. community. And then and then I was like, even having the thought that that-, that, that You were gonna do that? Yes, <gasps> that all of a sudden I am slowly evolving into a, a cult leader, but I caught myself. Thank God I'm here. Yeah, but you, <laughs> when I was describing this utopian following without a deity, were you in for a minute? No. I well, mean, yes, I like community, but I don't like when one person is in charge no, of the community. That, that'd be, that, listen, that was my mastermind is the whole thing set up as AA. And there's a revolving door of people who lead the thing at the beginning. And I even came up with this speech that they all have to give before they start. I'm, oh, my God. Listen to this. They're going to say to everyone, I'm standing on this stage reading to you, but that means absolutely nothing. I'm just going to pass on someone else's knowledge to you, and then I have no elevated standing. So everything starts with a reminder that no one is more important, and then you like dive into some fun theoretical stuff. Look at that. You look so scared right now. I'm scared because you've thought a lot about this. Oh, I spent two hours in bed thinking about this. Oh my that God. someone has to give this animal that's been designed to be religious another option. All right. Can't they just do their normal thing, which is go to church? But 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 the thing I was watching is um <laughs> Oh Jesus, now I got to remember what it was that I was watching cuz of course it, oh. It's dope sick. 
Oh, I need so to see no. That. I'm, Why? So no, because this poor girl who's struggling with opiate addiction, which is its own thing that needs a very specific treatment. Yeah, the family's very religious, so they just want to bring her back into the church, and of course, for a moment that works because the community and sure. the love and the support. But then she's being asked to build the foundation of her sobriety on God. Religion, yeah. And God's not going to be with her at certain hours of the day. Like, it's just not a good plan. Yeah, but your cult isn't good for that either. She needs to go to AA. That's what I'm saying. Right. So, so what I was, that's what got me thinking about it is like, it's a shame that you can't experience what's so healing and beautiful about that experience for her. Without having to also swallow the God aspect. That's what made me think of it. Is mm. like, so this girl eventually had to leave there because she couldn't jump on board with that, which left her nowhere, kind of. But she, yes, needed to go to AA, for sure. Yeah. But I just was, I was thinking that there's a price tag with religion. If, if, if there's a God, then you need to avail yourself to God to fix you. And I'm nervous that God from heaven doesn't fix addicts. Right, but I don't think your cult fixes addicts. This wasn't in an attempt for me to replace AA, but I just was aware of a bad aspect of a deity-derived religion. Okay. And then so I was looking at all those people in there that aren't addicts, that they're not going to go to AA, but what can they have that doesn't involve some guy in the sky who thinks being a lesbian is wrong? That's part of her mm. issue in the story. Mm. How do you give those people that beautiful thing that they have without... The person deciding what's moral and immoral. I know, but all the I time. think they just have to find. What would know, be wrong with a secular church? Yeah, secular gathering area. Meet your neighbors. Learn to see one another. Talk about what could be good in your neighborhood. I don't know. Well, we have that, and none of we never go to the potluck. What is it? Oh, I want to. I've I've been. Well, I know we, we were out of town twice. We went once. Yeah, we went. It was fun, right? <laughs> You're so confused. You're so mixed messages. Oh, gosh. <laughs> Tell me. Because you don't, you don't want to spend time with random people. I know you. But I think the fact that I went says that I, I, I have this higher calling to, to go against what my desire is. Well, that's lovely. Yeah, like I'm there because I know a better version of me is a citizen of this neighborhood. And it's not too big <laughs> to go to the neighborhood barbecue. I don't want to be seen that way. Yeah, but it doesn't have to be too big. It's just like I'm – I feel like that's codependent. If it's like, oh, my God, all these people are going to think that I'm too good, so I have to go. But I don't want to go. I'd rather mm -hmm. spend time with people I care about. Well, I think it's hard to find the line between codependency and also being a group animal. Like you, people should be listening to the messages in their group. You know, yeah, if there's consensus about people, generally that's true. I agree. You're not on an island. Yeah. Uh -huh. So I guess in some way I have enough respect for that, that that might be in the soup. If I was not on TV, would I want to go to that thing? Maybe. So maybe they're right if I don't go. You wouldn't want to go. Okay. Well, yeah, I was like punk rock guy trying to be different all the time. So maybe I wouldn't have gone. But anyways, it's complicated. So I go because I think the best version of me goes to those Okay, things. that's nice. Yeah. That's nice. Yeah. Which um, is why I want you to join my new religion. Oh, God. Yeah, so I just, I want you, I want you to feel safe in that I busted myself. It doesn't sound like you busted it. It sounds like you still think it's a great idea. <laughs> <laughs> sounds like you're still. I just got to not be involved with it. Oh, Oh no! Then you're like this, this like ethereal leader everyone like oh knows God, about, but the they scenes. don't. Yeah, so humble BTS, and sexy and so BTC, sexy, so mysterious. Bradley Terrence Cooper, <laughs> PTSD. 
Um, okay, this is a real ding, ding, ding. If you haven't watched the 2020 House of Horrors, I gotta watch that. It is a must. Mm, I gotta Do you want to watch, watch it? it, and then we'll talk about it next time. Yeah, I am I'm, gonna watch it. Did you grab it on Hulu? It's on Hulu. Okay. Uh, oh wow! Wow! Just so people, if they don't know, it's about this family in California. In 2018, they got caught because they were hoarding their children. Basically, they had 13 kids, Ooh. and they were chaining them up and abusing them. They had never left the house, right? No, they had like a couple times, but with the parents and like under lock and key. Exactly. It's Room. Yeah. The movie Room. And one of the girls escapes and calls 911 and she can't really talk and it yeah it led to a real weird ethical conversation uh uh thanksgiving evening because she's so pretty yeah i was so (laughs) delighted i had not seen it but a lot of members of the pod saw it and then slowly everyone had to acknowledge that she was super hot which became like this whole thing like oh i'm looking at photos right now yeah yeah and she's like got a tiktok pretty intense (laughs) yeah yeah you're just damned if you do, you're damned if you don't. Like, if you, if you find you're very attracted to her, you're like, oh, there's a victim. I, he shouldn't be attracted to her. Well, she if wants to get married. Right. And, and if life. you're not attracted to her, you're like, come on, man. She, she wants to be celebrated yeah. for being beautiful. And you're standing in the way of that. And she's a victim. She you, would, by the way, she would hate if somebody was like, oh, I can't call her beautiful because she's right? a victim. Like, she wants that. Yes. Yeah. So it's very, it's very complicated. Yeah. Life is messy. It's, it's, boy, is in a mess. <laughs> It is a mess. All right. I love you. Love you too.